0: Hello and welcome to the Write the Book Inside You podcast. Tips, tools and interviews for coaches and healers like you who want to write a non-fiction book to boost your visibility, clients and cash flow while making a difference. I'm your host, Carol Westmore, a multi-published author and energy psychology tapping book coach. Now let's jump into today's episode. There is a saying that no mother should have to bury her son. But when the unthinkable happens and you experience the almost unbearable loss of your once thriving and active son to kidney cancer, 27, how do you work through the grief? For Louise Bates, author of the book Letters to Matthew, Life After Loss, it started out with her pouring her heart and grief into Letters to Matthew in her journal. In this interview, Louise shares more about this, how she coped, how publishing a book of those letters, the book inside her, came about. This book carries a message to others about how to understand and process grief. Because as Louise says, there is not a cure for grief. Grief can only be absorbed, carried, experienced and cared for. Now let's hear more from Louise. Hello. Welcome, Louise. Louise Bates is the author of Letters to Matthew, Life After Loss. And in her own words, it is, Louise, the story of...
1: So the book basically started off as my personal journal. I started journaling after my son Matthew passed away in October 2016. And it was for my own mental health. I needed to get it on out of my head and onto paper. And I've just found writing and journaling very healing and it helped me to move forward through the journey of bereavement and grief and loss. And it wasn't intentionally done, you know, thinking I'm going to write a book. I did not know I had a book inside me. I've never had any drive to sit down and write a book. It was just my personal journal. Nobody else was going to read it. It was just for my own benefit. And what happened about three or four months after Matthew died, I'd been writing these letters, not every day, just writing to him, telling him how I was doing, what was going on. I did it in the form of letters. So it was each day, dear Matthew... Today, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And about three or four months on, I had an amazing experience where I really felt I was connected to Matthew. I really felt his energy all around me. I felt like he was giving me a virtual hug. And at the same time, I had this image in my mind's eye of the book, Letters to Matthew. Life After Loss by Louise Bates. And I thought, where's this coming from? And I actually said to Matthew, Matthew, I'm not a writer. He was a writer. He was a journalist. I'm not a writer. I can't write a book. But that planted the seed. And from there, it started to grow. I continued to journal. I continued to write to him. And I kept getting this image in my mind. I wrote letters to him for the first year after his death. And then I decided I didn't need to write any more letters. I could just talk to him. But the writing process was just part of my healing journey. Mm. And then I thought perhaps this could be a book because I could write about all the things that have helped me, like EFT, Matrix Reimprinting. Yes. So and, so uh, let's I'm stop gonna... Can I just stop you a moment there?
0: So um, what what is what I've loved about your book is that there is the raw emotional outpouring of the journals and it takes us on a journey of, of a mother and, and your loss. But then we come to, I think it's a part two, because you were already in the energy psychology field, weren't you? Am I right? Yes. And you mentioned now in in there something called EFT and matrix re-imprinting and how, I'd just like you to tell you know our listeners, many of whom are therapists and coaches, how You managed to, in fact, it was in your letters to Matthew, you actually described the difference some of your sessions made. Could you take us there?
1: So talking about the EFT and how it helps me, when Matthew first passed away, I wasn't looking for a quick fix. Mm. I wasn't looking to do any tapping. I just wanted to sit in my grief and my sadness, and I wasn't motivated to do anything about it. And I think it's quite important that we can't rush grief. You can't just say, Well, I know all of these tools and I can just get myself to a good place. You need to experience that rawness of grief. You need to allow your body and your mind to process it and you need to experience it. And you, I got to a point where one of my colleagues had said to me, Why don't you come and do some tapping? And I said, No, I'm fine. I don't need to do any tapping. I wasn't doing any tapping. And he kept nudging me and inviting me to come and do some tapping. And I went really just to shut him up Mm. and do this tapping. (laughs) And thank God I did, because that was an amazing experience. And then I again, I connected with Matthew and it was almost like he was saying, giving me permission to let stuff go. Mm. Not that I needed that permission, but he was saying, Mom, you know, all of this stuff you need to let it go. and it, we connected that through this first tapping session so then i went back every two weeks for more tapping because it was incredible yes and and it was it was moving
0: you through the moment we talk about the Udin moment of unexpected dramatic where you are isolated and alone it took you at least to a place one of the things i think with energy psychology and eft takes you to a place where you are held and you are being given a tool, which how do you describe to your clients that it works? Is it an energy or a brain? You know, why does it shift you without giving up your journey of grief? It, it somehow shifts you, it strengthens you. How, how, does, how do you describe how that worked for you?
1: So for me, I think I gave myself permission to allow myself to let it go first of all this because mm-hmm. we started to work on this big hole that I felt this big massive hole and I gave myself permission to let go of that and we tapped on how we felt how I felt in that moment you know we talk about all modalities, and you know is it how big is it what color it is and yes. we, we tapped on all of this and within a few rounds it was just gone so to experience that myself, to explain that to one of my clients, a lot of people that come to me for tapping don't want to know how it works. They just yes. they have a problem and they want help getting rid of it. The people are asked about it. It depends how I explain it. If I feel that they're quite energy feeling, kinesthetic people, I talk about energy. If mm. they're more brain logical people, I talk more about the psychology of EFT so it depends on who I'm talking to as to how I explain how it works but for me personally I'm a very kinesthetic person I'm a a lot of things so I concentrate on what's going what's alive in me in this moment and if that is an uncomfortable feeling I don't have to give it a label I can just tap on it release give myself permission and let it go
0: and that ties in with your mindfulness doesn't it that you trained in uh, I, I noticed a lot, even you're actually, funnily enough, in the beginning, not funnily enough, but interestingly enough, Sarah, in the beginning of the book, has written a letter uh, to cancer saying, I'm not going to battle and wage a war against you, and uh, instead embrace the energy or the, the, the idea of cancer. And the same with you later in your book, you mention embracing your feelings, that you're not going to fight them, that you embrace them almost like a little child. Is that right? Is that what you found to be helpful?
1: I think what you resist persists. Mm. If it becomes a battle, then it it just becomes an inner conflict inside and it creates more unease. But once we recognize what we feel inside Mm. and we acknowledge what we feel inside, we have a choice. Do I want to continue feeling this? And if you do, that's fine. Perhaps you need to feel it for a bit longer and you need to allow that process to happen. And if you feel like you're in the place that I acknowledge this feeling inside, I don't want it anymore. And you can choose then what tools you use to deal with that. And I find that tapping and matrix re-imprinting, mindfulness, combination of lots of different things, NLP are the tools that have helped me get to the place where I am now. Yes,
0: yes. So talking of where you are now, and it, is it four years? It must be six years since the diagnosis, am I right? That's uh,
1: right. Because so
0: we... Yeah. This is, yeah, this is 2020. And I think it's worth saying, although this podcast will last for indefinitely, that this has been a year of grief for a lot of people. Would you agree? Whether, whatever they have, they've had to give up, whether it's Absolutely. pets or you must have, you know, we have been in this time of grief. So, but your, yours was a very personal, in a diagnosis of your son when he was 25. Take us back to who he was before that diagnosis and why it came as such a shock to you and your family.
1: So, Matthew was a young, fit, healthy 25 year old. He just started a new job as a news editor at the Stratford Herald newspaper. He was playing football three times a week, he played cricket for the Stonely Abbey, he he played golf, he was cycling, he was very fit, very much into sports. We knew that he that something was wrong and he'd been backwards and forwards to the doctors for a few months, but the doctors didn't seem to have, you know, any they weren't particularly worried. And then he started to lose weight quite rapidly and he was admitted into hospital. And I thought, at last, they'll find out what's wrong with him and they'll mm. be able to, you know, make it right. So when they actually diagnosed cancer, it was a complete shock. Complete mm. shock. I just never saw that in Because like, you just don't imagine people so fit and so healthy to be diagnosed with cancer. And so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that was a, a big shock. And then two... When it was diagnosed, it was already stage four. So was mm. all very much doom and gloom from the medical people right from the beginning. But because I'm a complementary therapist, I know what's out there. I have my beliefs about what Bruce Lipton says about, you know, we're not victims to our genes because they believed his cancer was genetic. Mm. I introduced him to lots of different tools and alternative treatments, which was a bit of a struggle because Matthew... Was very left brain, very logical. You know, he liked to do his own research. And he was used to a mum that was into healing and crystals and angels and very being a very spiritual person. And that wasn't him. He was mm. completely he accepted that that's what I, you know, that yeah, was my yeah. it wasn't his way of working with things. Right. He wanted to listen to the doctors, he wanted to listen to the consultants. And I think a combination of both what they suggest, along with what I suggest, a nice combination of the two would have been a good synergy. But he was more interested in what they had to say than what his mum had to say mm. when it came to healing and getting better. So that that was quite quite difficult. Yeah, um, and I think
0: part of your grief is that as hard as you tried for those two years, and it sounds like you know, and you had people raising money because it was. You know, you, you're really having to pull out all stops with, with how, you know, the, the fresh vegetables and the treatments and everything. I think that must, you know, as, as mothers, and I speak myself as a mother, we just can't control everything in the end. Not, not everything was within our control. And yeah. yet we have to do all we can with all our might and prayers and, you know, everything we know as alternative therapists to help those we love. But in the end, you were there for him when he was in the hospice and you mentioned how that earth angel, there were, there were people along the way who came and sat and talked to you and him. Do you want to just mention some of, you know, those things you, the kindnesses and the things you found along the way? And also, sorry, I'm, I'm skipping a little bit. After that, I want to talk about his own blog, but let's start with the, the people you encountered, the earth angels you called her.
1: So, yes, we saw the the best and the worst of our wonderful natural health service over here. But some incredible, incredible medical people and nurses that people that just went the extra mile. They just went the extra mile. They were truly caring, caring people. And there's a couple of nurses that four years later still contact us. Mm. One of them sent me a message on his anniversary a couple of weeks ago. She still thinks about him it's just incredible when you come across people like this and you, you just never forget some of these people and the care that they gave Matthew and just glad that he was able to experience that yes and
0: I mentioned the blog I like the part where you wrote so many people talk about what is it the battle they lost the battle against cancer but you said in his case he won a victory and what was that for you you know how do so you
1: say it in terms of cancer we talk in terms of winning a war you know fighting a battle and the people that die lose and the people that live win and my thoughts i just think it's such a shame when they describe people that die of cancer you know that they lose when i just think that's wrong we st- we need to change the narrative how we talk about cancer, mm,
0: cancer i like patients. that i like um, what you say.
1: You know, Matthew didn't lose, as I say in the book, as his body faded, his spirits grew. Mm. There were a lot, although it's a really sad story and he, he died and it has a sad ending, a lot of positives came from that. And in fact, some of his happiest moments were during his illness. There's a lot. Yeah, I just think we need to change the narrative around how we talk about cancer. More and you met- mentioned
0: that when he wrote the blog, a, a, at least 50,000 people used to read it. There was also something about being a writer who shares from the heart. And there's a there's often the, critis- the critics as well who say one should just go not share so publicly and just, you know, David Bowie didn't. And great for him. He was a great person. But I think as, as a writer, and he was a writer, That's sharing, reach the people it needed to share, do you agree, Um, to, to reach? And we don't know the power of our words, which is why I'm so happy you've written your book. And as a writer myself over the years, you don't, you know, you write a book from the heart, it gets into print, it's out there. But years later, you don't know whose whose heart it's going to touch. I mean, look at Louise Hay with her little pamphlet, you know. So we have to be humble and also listen to our muse. You were given the gift of writing. as as a way to express what happened and to maybe help other people. And I think it's wonderful how you, you know, you went with it and, and completed it. And I believe you've also done the audio. Tell us about that because I believe that audio is a powerful way of reaching people. What's the response been to the audio version of your book?
1: it's been incredible it came along as my well my husband is a sound engineer and he has a recording studio in the garden so he's used to recording singer songwriters and musicians and we talked about one day maybe making the book into an audible but we were both busy you know he was working I was working and He was, if he wasn't working, he was busy getting people in doing recordings and then lockdown happened. (laughs) So it's been a bit of a lockdown project. So we thought, well, now is an opportunity. We've got the time to actually do it. So I sat and recorded my book in his recording studio. So that's, yeah. In fact, I recorded it twice the first time. I don't think we could, it would have been approved by Audible because it it had too much emotion in it. It was quite... It, we went through boxes of tissues, the pair of mm, us, you know. Mm. I did it again the second time, and then we were happy with that, um, yes. that recording.
0: Yeah, so that's great you've got both out there because, I, I mean, more and more people want to rather listen to a book than read, or, but it's nice to have both.
1: Yeah, yeah. So
0: where to from here? You know, is there something more you want to do with your own work based on the book? Can you share with the share with us as potential writers or therapists why it's important that your book is out along with your work?
1: Well, once I'd finished the book and it was published and it was out there, I thought that's it now that project is over. It doesn't feel like my book anymore. it belongs to whoever is reading it. I can't change it or edit it anymore. And I thought that would be it. And maybe I, in time, my work would go towards being more of a grief specialist. Mm. And maybe that will happen one day, but I still feel I'm I'm still a work in progress myself. I do feel there is another book coming. Yes, I'm yes. getting nudged and I'm already making notes and writing things down. So I feel like As I get older and I, you know, be less able to do maybe heavy physical therapies that I do as a complementary therapist, I would like to think that I could maybe specialize more in grief and that could be my niche. Yes. But I'm not quite there yet. <laughs> yes, it's it's coming, yeah. and you again, like
0: you teach about mindfulness or EFT, you just go with what's coming up and what you've been shown, aren't you, as a yes, therapist?
1: Absolutely, yes, yeah, and I do feel I'm sort of being guided in that direction.
0: Yes, but,
1: yes, definitely. So, So
0: Louise, tell us where people can buy the book and where they can find you as a therapist. So I will put it in the show notes, but do you have separate websites for your
1: work and a separate website for the book? I do. So my book is called Letters to Matthew, Life After Loss, and my website is www.letterstomatthew.co.uk. Okay. I work as a therapist. I work from home in my treatment room. It's called Heathcote Holistics. So I have a website, www.heathcoteholistics.co.uk.
0: That's fantastic. I'll put that in the show notes. And thank you very much for sharing your journey, both as a writer, as a mother and as a holistic therapist today.
1: Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. So, Louise, one of the
0: things that you mentioned which shifted you and which you really enjoy, I think, to this day doing is, what did you call it, a gratitude or positivity journal? Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, well, it was called a happy journal. Oh, okay. It was a gratitude journal, but a happy, yeah, a happy journal. So i just like to collect anything that helps me feel uplifted. So it might be a poem, it might be a picture, it might be a little letter that my husband leaves out on the decide before he goes out to work. It could be a little quote from somebody. And I just literally put it into a little book. And even little cards that send people send you, little cards with inspirational words on, I just keep them all in a book. And I keep it on the coffee table. And every now and again, I just open it up and read it and have a look at it and it makes me feel good but not only having the book makes me feel good creating the book makes me feel good as well so it's just sometimes if you're feeling a little bit low it's just a little a nice little book you can pick up and it just reminds you and connects you to that good feeling so I call it a happy a happy journal. I like that and I'm
0: thinking as well, having been myself a journal keeper who also used to do drawings and pictures in my journals just because I you know, wanted to keep them, I'm thinking that there's something therapeutic, almost you know, like doodling, or there's someone, Maria Perizza, who does something called heart journaling. There's something about writing or sticking pictures or in, in, a, in your journal that in itself is therapeutic. What you see, seem seemed to say was hunting out the positive things and also that smiling that you heard David Hamilton once mention, just putting a smile on your face somehow lifts your I don't know whether it's your neurotransmitters or whatever, but it makes you feel happier.
1: Yeah, all these little all these little things that I did were just little help for the body to create some inner change. And sometimes you have to, I had to force myself to do it. So when I talked about forcing the smiling, i have been on the David Hamilton workshop and he talked about when you're feeling sad, just smile because there's tiny little muscles at the corner of your mouth, send messages to certain parts of your brain. Oh, Louise is smiling send out the happy hormones so I would practice my smiling I would do my happy journal and it changes your chemistry it changes you and it helps to change your mood it's not the cure for grief but it helps you to be able to move forward and just keep nudging you to keep moving Mm. in that direction thank you for that
0: I think it's important to add that in and so you know we have how I'm seeing it, we have the balance of experiencing the grief and allowing it going on the journey. I think it was Cabot Zim you you mentioned on your blog who said something like you you can't stop the waves, but you can learn to surf them and I think really that's a a good way to end this podcast because really you know that's what you've learned to do with with like the happy journal, the tapping and oh. You know, those aspects, the things you've mentioned, the mindfulness. So thank you again for sharing it and all the best. Thank you. Thanks for joining me on today's podcast. Want a free gift to inspire you further on your book writing adventure? My free checklist, five book hook tips to kickstart your book writing journey, will help you get clarity on the key essentials to make your book a winner. Download it at writethebookinsideyou.com forward slash free gift. The links are in the show notes. Until next time, a big virtual hug and keep writing.